Artists Worldwide. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Welcome to Global Brothers Podcast. I'm your man, Dandy. And as always, we got my co-host, Big Heath, in the building. What's happening, brother? What's up, my brother? Boom. So we got a special guest today, uh, a brother that, I mean, I'm surprised he even needs an introduction. He's done just like so much. Uh, if I were to read off the accomplishments, we'd be here all day. But uh, yeah. his company is called Your Mom's House, Inc., which is, I don't know, I just get a chuckle out of that. Uh, but I, I, I just love that talking point as well. Um, he's an Emmy Award winning uh, director, photographer, uh, artist, mentor, and so much more. We got the brother Ime Alaquibe from Pittsburgh in the building. Give it up. I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, this is like a little brother of mine. If you ever did a documentary of a book, I probably wouldn't even have to watch it because I was there. <laughs> okay, I watched it happen, all right? I walked to school and to and from, saw the drama with this brother. We're going back 35 yeah. years, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. At least yeah. 30. Yeah. And, um, you know, we texted uh, a little while ago, a couple hours ago, about being an overnight success after 20 years, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I watched it all. I've seen it all. And to be honest with you, when, when he uh, accepted our invite, Immediately, well, actually, prior to him accepting our invite, I was hoping he would take it. And then when he accepted it, I went into like this zone, like, wow, look at this. Look at him. Look at us. Look, what are we doing? You know, like, this is crazy. So I started to just go into this zone of appreciation and reflection of his life, his family's life. And uh, we're going to get into it. So uh, to his to everything. So welcome, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, just, you know, so everybody in the room knows and all out in the interwebs. Uh, my first name is uh, pronounced Imei. It's three syllables, E-M-E-I. And last name is Alaquiva. Alaquiva. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. Uh, like I mentioned before, uh, thank you so much for providing this platform for so many voices at a time like this. Um, a lot of people aren't using their voice. So, you know, my hat's off to you brothers for putting together this podcast. If I had another hat, I'll take them both off. So, uh, it's glad to be here. Welcome, man. Yeah. Welcome. What are you doing, man? Like, I mean, you're up on a Thursday. Um, whenever I see you, of course, on social media, we might text every now and then. You're ripping and running. It seems like you don't have time for anything. But then I see pictures of you doing everything, you know, family time. Uh, travel the whole nine yards. What do you have today? What does he may do on a Thursday morning? Well, on a Thursday morning, um, you know, as an artist, you know, uh, there are no hours that really belong to you. Right. So you have to kind of take those creative hours as they come. And when the creative gods, uh, as I like to say, when they download in you, 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 you have to uh, you have to embrace that, right? So a lot of times I'm up at two, three in the morning. Uh, last night I was working on some uh, some photography. There's a, a Black Lives Matter mural that has been put up in the city of Pittsburgh, which is absolutely unheard of for this type of art to be this present and to have this much dominance in the airways. So uh, as a, as an artist, I've been helping fellow artists sort of get their voice out. So I've been, um, you know, 
doing some photography of artists and also working on um, uh, a short film on how black artists are orbiting this time period and you know how art is therapeutic and helping them heal and a lot of times artists get so wrapped up in what it is that they do that they forget to document kind of what it is that they're doing. So I was doing that uh, last night as well as uh, I'm directing the Pittsburgh International Jazz Festival this year. So putting together the hours for that virtual project. So just a lot of work. Uh, tomorrow I'll be working with Antoine Rose, the second's mother, um, uh, for, you know, the um, hate to say it, but you know, the, 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 you know, the year mark yeah. or the two year mark of, of his, of his, uh, of his murder, yeah. uh, which is on, on, you know, June 19th. So, uh, working with her to sort of tell her story. Uh, a lot of times these mothers, um, you know, they have a tough time, you know, grieving and then also, making sure that they fossilize the memory of their son. It's very difficult to do that. So as a filmmaker um, and, you know, working with the Rock Nation, working with Meek Mill uh, mm -hmm. to put together that PSA, uh, to help put together that PSA that uh, premiered last year um, is, is the type of work that I'm on this earth to do. Yeah. You know, you reminded me, uh, we were together last year, Ju July 19th. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were in Hawkins Village together, yeah. and yeah. Um, you know I commend you and thank you. Uh, last year was the first uh, summer that I came home uh, since being married. So I brought my wife, my newborn baby, and everything, and, and we came to Pittsburgh. And it was you who was almost like my ambassador to my own city, right? Because okay. we we ended up at a couple functions. Remember? Yeah, absolutely. Up on, For sure. Yeah, one up on the mountain, and then the other one down there, the fundraiser. It was a sneaker event. Right. Indeed, indeed. Right. Yep. But, but also, we, we, uh, you introduced me to Antoine Rose's mom, and I, was, yes. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Um, it, you know, if we're the city of bridges, we have to build them and then cross them, not just build them and stare at each other from shore to shore, right? Yeah. Because that happens a lot in a lot of industries. We'll say, hey, let's go to a networking event, and then we don't follow up. We right. don't follow through. Uh, if someone reaches out, we don't, don't return that email or that phone call within 24 to 48 hours. So, you know, um, I thought it was very, very valuable for you to get to know important individuals. Of course, everyone's important, but key individuals that are a part of the makeup and the fabric of what's going on in your city. Right. Yes, you're in Dubai. We appreciate, you know, you being in Dubai. But there's nothing like, hey, listen, it's almost like that riding bike effect. As soon as we are around the brothership, it's like, hey, boom, let's get you here. Let's get you there. Let, let's connect you. Even with your niece, uh, Marna Owens, who yeah. uh, is super duper amazing, um, and she's here with us today. I've had the opportunity uh, to mentor her since she was 14 and being able to take her to New York City to meet individual v, v, VPs from Pepsi, VPs from MTV and things of that na nature, and to see where she's taken that and how she's internalized that for herself and gave her, you know, herself a platform speaks volumes to the importance of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ime, uh, so, so your bio says that the sky is not the limit. 
What does being limitless mean to you? I mean, the sky is not the limit. I mean, first of all, I'm not knocking anyone who says the sky is the limit. Yes. I'm not knocking anyone because, I mean, we can use our own fortune cookies the way we want to use our own fortune cookies, right? But, you know, when I say that uh, the sky is not the limit is that whatever we do in life, we have to push beyond boundaries, right? Uh, the lion can only kill the prey that is comfortable. And, and I want you to, everyone on this call and everyone who's watching to really take that in. We can't get comfortable in whatever it is that we do. We have to continue to have that notion that someone pinches us and someone annoys us where we have to keep going, keep going, don't stop and get comfortable at where the sky is, especially when there's an entire universe beyond that sky. So we have a lot to discover in the minute that we limit ourselves is the minute that we sort of say, hey, listen, we did it, right? No, we didn't do it. When we go after our dreams and we, when we go after our aspirations, don't go just for the win. Go for the win-win, right? That's what I mean about, you know, the sky is not the limit. And I've lived through, you know, me thinking that the sky was the limit. But once I got beyond that sky is when I began to live. I really like that. Um, another one that I like that, uh, you know, you have, I guess, I guess we're going to call them my uh, Ema-isms. <laughs> another <laughs> one I really like is, um, is uh, bad uh, <laughs> you, said, you, said, you said God's fault. Yes, yeah, absolutely. God's fault. Use that hashtag and tell us about that. Yeah, so I mean, I started using a hashtag maybe about 2014, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I remember. As a as a way, you know, Run DMC said, "Not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good." Right. And Tariq uh, Trotter, Black Thought, uh, good friend uh, of mine. I mean, after uh, seven, after eight years, I can call him a good friend, but. You know, he always had this thing where he would word bend and he would he would um, he would impregnate certain words with certain meanings in things of that nature. And when I thought of it's God's fault, I wanted to blame the blessings on a higher being. It, 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 it's, it's not me. Right. And, you know, I wanted to come up with a clever hip hop ish way because hip hop is in my DNA, period, point blank. Heath, you know that. Everybody on this call knows that. So I, instead of, you know, oh, you know, God bless, you know, uh, blessings upon me, you know, let's just say it's God's fault. Let's, let's blame him for the, let's, let's always put the blessings in, in, the, in the energy uh, back on God to say, hey, it's not all about me, it's not all about us. It's on a higher being, and that's what I strongly believe. And that has, I mean, just that phrase has, a, has humbled me at times, has really brought me to my knees and just crying. The fact of the motions that God has taken in my life, seriously? Like, I mean, we could be on this call for days to go through you know, what not, not, not necessarily I've been through, but what black men has been through, what cultures has, have been through, I would be insane to not blame a higher power for, for, 
for the holes that I got out of in my life and, and the surfaces in the rooms that I um, navigate today is only because of God. So that's what I mean when I tag it's God's fault uh, because the blessings are definitely uh, God's. So I appreciate so, that. I have a question for you. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, when, when, um, when I say I, w I don't need to watch the trailer or the documentary because I was there and I watched it, um, there's so many similarities, right? You know, when I see your grind and I see your success, I've had so many blessings, you know, you know, in so many things. And I'm like, uh, somebody's, I have favor. Like somebody's really, really caring me. Mm -hmm. And my, my mother who's on a call knows that. Like it's unexplainable, you know. Um, and I'll never call it luck. Uh, do you ever have, and I'm speaking uh, actually selfishly and personally, have you ever had any type of remorse, survivor's guilt, or anything like that? No. Um, and the reason why I don't have guilt is I, I don't live with any regrets because I don't believe regrets fit in caskets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the life that you have is the life that you have to process and learn how to manufacture negative energy into positive energy. Because, you know, our hearts is, is a manufacturing plant. What goes into it and what comes out of it is based on how you process things that happen. Um, so I don't have any remorse, you know, you know, going through the difficulties and the adversities or the actual pillars that help you to build the character that you need. Right. So when, when bad things happen and unfortunate things happen, those are the prerequisites to getting the degree of life. Mm -hmm. You need those prerequisites. You need those classes of life because you need something to compare it to. You need something to bounce it off of in order to learn the equity of what it is that you're doing. One example is this whole COVID situation. You know, and I told a, a couple individuals uh, uh, about this. During this COVID, if you do not come out better, you were never doing what you were supposed to do. Yeah. You understand what I'm, you see what I'm saying, Heath? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like, like let, let, let's just put it out there. Let's keep it a bean. Let's keep it a buck. If you do not come out of this situation where you've had lots of times to focus on that dream, focus on that goal, focus on that project, build that relationship with that family member where you haven't called them in 10 or 15 years because you got an emotional uh, kerfuffle built inside yourself. You know what I mean? We got to come out better, and it's because of adversities that'll build character in us all based on how we internalize it, shape it, and, and spit it back out. And right. then here's the key that you can't forget. Once you do get out of that space, it is your responsibility to help others get out of that space. Exactly. Because there's a difference between being selfish and self-centered. We could be self-centered. We could work on ourselves. We could become vegans overnight. We could go to the gym three times a week. We could meditate somewhere along the river or a lake. That's self-centered. 
But what we can do is, is be selfish in keeping it to ourselves. Once you do something for yourself, you have to do it for others. Lock that in. Yeah. yeah thanks for sharing that. Because um, from where we're from, there was times where, <clears throat> and, and I always go back to the pretty girl or the athlete. And I was like, dang, why, you know, why me and not that person? You know, like the person in, 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 in first grade that had neat handwriting, you know, why is that person strung out as an adult? Like that was the so-called nerd back then, right? Like mm -hmm. why didn't they make it? And, you know, we, we understand the clutches and the, the, the poverty that can grab us and, and not let go of us. And here's me coming through and weaving through, going through virtual hell, but making it to the other side per se and wondering, because we still, we still go back home. We still live home, right? And mm -hmm. wonder why me? Why, you know, why me and, and not this other person who appeared to have a lot more talent and skill and intellect or whatever? You, you know what I mean? I reflect on that so much. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, growing up in Wilkinsburg, it was a tough, it was a tough city, you know, uh, a tough town. And, you know, seeing, you know, individuals like Marcus Coffey, you know, uh, Lamar Coles, um, you know, individuals just getting, you know, killed and just out here in these streets. And that um, was your click. That was your crew. No, that was my click, Heath. Yes. Like, that, yes. that was, you know, in front of Sparrows, in front of no, Bell. Listen, listen. No. PSU posse. No, PSU, Penn State University hats, OSU. Yeah, you want to go there, right? Yes. You know, OSU, LSU. Um, yeah. You know, it was, it was a tough time, but we didn't know any better. Yeah. You know, we, th we thought that this was how we would be validated as young men is yeah. if we go around in these hats and if we go around sort of fronting and faking um, – of who we really were, but you know what saved me though, Heath, and you know this, was music. Yeah, hip hop. Music saved, hip hop saved my yes. life. Yes. And, yes. I, and, and I know uh, some of y'all on this call or whoever's listening, you know, on this YouTube, um, tired of hearing me say that, but you know, I worked at this, pl this place and what really kind of got me into music, first, my grandmother pur purchased a keyboard for me for one Christmas. She purchased a keyboard for me with like these little purple drums, and I started to get into music lightweight. Casio. Then I got it. Yeah. No, no, not the Casio. That, that was pre-the Casio uh, oh. SK-1. Then I started working at this restaurant called, I mean, no, at this record store called Slate Records. Yes on Penn Avenue across from the gun shop. Yes. And that's where I started to get familiar with like public enemy and um, all these different, you know, um, uh, uh, criminal minded Karis one. And then my mother, um, and I, I share this story a lot, but I'm gonna share it quickly. My mother purchased, um, uh, the, there's a place called Color Time. Before Rent-A-Center, there's this place called Color Time where you could rent entertainment systems, right? So my mom copped this rented, this uh, entertainment system and she put it in her living room. It was a double cassette and she purchased De La Soul. And she purchased a De La Soul cassette tape because it sampled Rapper Dapper Snapper um, from a song called Me, Myself, and I. So that was the first hip-hop uh, album that really got me into hip-hop that 
totally changed the trajectory of my life because at that time I just dove into hip hop and then it just changed my life forever. Wow. Tell us about hip hop on lock because, um, you know, after, after, after that, I'm um, kind of like, Oh, two, uh, you know, how hip hop did have such a big influence on your life. It's really interesting yeah. to see that you're paying it forward and have developed this educational program around hip hop. Sure. Absolutely. Hip hop on lock. I started, um, uh, in, uh, 2007 in 2007, um, I had my recording studio open for a few years and I kept taking from the community and I wanted to give back to the community through what saved me. I figure if hip hop saved my life, uh, I need to spend the rest of my life helping to save others through the same vessel. Right? So I started hip hop on lock, um, in uh, 2007 with only 16 students. And we partnered with an organization called The Union Project. Mm. And uh, shout out to Hillary Brown. Yeah. So when we started with those 16 students, Hip Hop Unlock is an arts education and mentoring program that employs hip hop to educate and empower youth K to 12. So at first, I would just invite students to show them how they can use music in order to really express themselves, right? And use this artful expression to, uh, you know, give their voice to the rest of the world. So when we started with those 16 students, they basically come in and they create an album from conception to completion over an eight to 10 week period. So they are charged with writing, producing, mixing, recording, uh, doing their own photography, doing a throwback in the, in the name of community service. And then at the end of that 10 weeks, they perform in front of friends, family, and the entire community, something tangible that they created as part of a teamwork exercise. So once schools started to hear about this, they said, Imei, you know, and this is where I started to hear about curriculums. I, I knew nothing about curriculums. It sounds like a bag of chips to me. Uh, let me get a bag of curriculums, you know? So uh, a few individuals said, hey, why don't you package this and get it out into the educational realm? So I said, okay, um, help me um, because it's one of those bridges again. So I crossed that bridge and now today we have over 6,000 graduates in 11 school districts, 48 partnerships throughout Western Pennsylvania. That speaks volumes, again, how it's bigger than hip hop and how it's bigger than me. It takes a whole village to help change the focus of a lot of these young people starting with something related to hip hop and related to the arts, and, and that's hip hop. So uh, that's hip hop on lock. L-O-C-K, which stands for Leadership Development, Organizational Skills, Cooperative Economics, and Knowledge of the Music Business. I like that, how you dropped in. Uh, it's bigger than hip-hop. Uh, you know, shout out to Dead Prez. Shout out to Dead Prez. M I, I got this hat off of, uh, um, because of M1. Word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love Dead Prez, man. Legendary. Yes. Hey man, so you 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 you've done a you've done a couple TEDx talks, um, you know, uh, and 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 that's a testament to how much um, your peers and and just like you know those uh, those in positions to uh, you know get you on those stages, 
yeah. really like you know like how much you mean to them so like you know tell us a bit about like your experience with uh tedx talks and all um, sure absolutely yeah my my ted talks was with damon young one of your former uh one of your former guests here um uh, on the gbp um and when i sat down with him you know, the people at TEDx, they said, hey, Ime, you know, you could talk about anything, you could do any format. And I said, let's do a sit down format. It's almost as if we're in a coffee shop because, you know, I, I don't want to stand and sort of run around a stage, right? So, and then they said, okay, well, what do you want to talk about? And I thought it was important, especially for brothers, to talk about mental health. Mm. Mental health is very important. Um, uh, in our communities. So what I wanted to do is uh, my hip hop roots, I wanted to metaphorically talk about my wife and the fact that my wife was uh, recently a few years ago diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And, you know, she went through um, a few things that was gut wrenching. Um, but she is a hero. She, she's an incredible hero in my life. And um, we talked about how photography uh, is a situation where metaphorically I use photography to help me get through. Um, so with that, I used how, you know, we have to take pictures and we have to crystallize our, our images. And so I talked about, you know, that in the TEDx. And it was really interesting how people gravitated towards me using photography as a metaphor um, to really tell that story on how we got through as a family through this diagnosis and how we live with it today. Um, some of those uh, statements were the fact that when you take a picture, sometimes you don't know what's in that picture until you go into a dark room, right? And when you go into a dark room, sometimes you have to sit that into a box and you have to be patient to wait till that image comes to life and sometimes in all of our lives we're all photographers and we all have to take photos and we all sometimes go into a dark room in order to recognize the image that we have and sometimes when we're patient to know what that image is it might turn out to be the most incredible photo you've ever seen in your life. And that's how we got through the aperture, you know, letting light into the camera. How much light do you let in? You know, what type of negatives do you close out by, by, by switching the aperture? How do you bring up the ISO as far as, you know, um, you know, making those adjustments? And sometimes how are things out of focus? We're out of focus in our life where sometimes we just have to grab the lens and then either rotate it a little bit that way or rotate it a little bit this way to gain focus in whatever it is that we're doing. And, you know, using that photography with the, the uh, you know, the mental health and with my wife, we got focus after two years of her going through depression, um, suicide attempts, failed suicide attempts and things of that nature. All we had to do as a family is to adjust the lens right or left and, and we got key focus to take shots that'll last us for the rest of our lives what a what an analogy uh that 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 really hit home for me because um uh 
I went to school for photography and, you know, like I very much like yourself, like in the days of um, dark rooms. Yeah. Like that was before yeah. digital. So like definitely I can, I, I can relate to all those things and the way that you um, uh, juxtaposed that with mental health. Um, you're masterful. Thank you so much for that. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Wow. Do we have questions in the room? Cause I have so we much. Do. We do. <laughs> I have so much. <laughs> Let's fire off. Let's get to these yeah, questions. Right? <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll ask the first one. Um, in tr in uh, our, uh, our sister, Trey Lou, uh, alluded to it earlier. And she asked yeah. the question, how has the passing of Tina, your sister, uh, empowered you and in what direction? Yes. So now, my, before, before, you, before you start, yep. Tina, who was uh, in every class, like we literally was in the same homeroom every English class all the way up, like my classmate. Yes, thank you, yes. Yeah. Uh, Latina Louise Phillips, um, uh, she was my sister, super duper amazing, um, close to my heart. Uh, she transitioned at the age of 26 uh, due to complications of HIV AIDS. And, uh, you know, in the early 90s, uh, when people talked about AIDS, it, th this it was uh, it was it was huge. A lot of people didn't they weren't educated. There was a lot of uh, miseducation. Yeah. So my sister was isolated beyond belief. I I I cannot even begin to explain how isolated she was. Um, how talked about she was, um, how neglected she was, and it threw her into a deep depression where she uh, ended up uh, addicted to crack cocaine, um, had a lot of issues, a lot of problems, and um, she was diagnosed uh, in 93. She was gone by 97. Mm -hmm. So over those four years, growing up as, as, a, as a young man, um, watching my sister deteriorate in front of me was difficult for me as a young man. Um, and to also see my mother go through that pain, um, having to walk over my sister because she was too weak to get up, coming home from school, and having to uh, watch this was very tough for me. Um, but I, I recognized her courage and the fact that she fought to the very last day, uh, April 30th, uh, 97. And having to tell my two nieces that um, her, 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 their mother would never be here again um, that's a lot for a young black man in America. And sometimes we're taught to be so tough. We're taught to be Superman. Mm -hmm. So it was difficult for me. But I promised myself to spend the rest of my life helping others because at 26 you start to get to know 
who you want to be. And my sister never got that chance. So who am I to have a gift without sharing it? Who am I to have this opportunity without giving it out? And who am I to be blessed with so many great people without blessing as many great people as I can? Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Hey, uh, this summer when you invited me to the uh, celebration of life of uh, Antoine Rose, and I came over and met you, after we embraced, and I met a couple other people, you know, the Representative Wheatley and Ganey and all those guys, I told you that I just drove past your house. And I don't know if you remember, I said, hey, your house is for sale. Well, and you were like, what? I should buy it. <laughs> but one of the things that uh, I probably drove past that house a million times since 97 or in my entire lifetime. And I think about her on the porch with your mom, you running around. You might be around the corner somewhere because I just saw you, you know, yep. down the street. But it hits home and she's not forgotten because I can't drive past the house without thinking about her um, because she was my classmate. She was my, you know, we might even walk to school together if I'm, if I'm by your house by the time she leaves the house. So yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. She, she was a great human being, man. Great. Yeah. human. Being. Yeah. The thing is, is um, seeing a jovial intellectual dude like yourself, who is just, you know, turned out to be who you are. Um, yeah, it's God's fault. I agree. And every time you, you, you send that hashtag, I, it hits me. I'm like, okay. You know, it, it actually ignites something in me. But I'm glad we asked that question because I've always wondered, how do you do it? How do you remain? How do you wear the mask? You know, how does it all come out? And I just believe that, you know, you spoke well about it. You said, who are you to not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Who, who are we to not? You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody watching, you know, uh, we have a gift. What good is a gift if we don't share it with the rest of the world? You know, yeah. we're, we're only in this body temporarily. Um, and honestly, a lot of us are, are, you know, or all of us are on here uh, on earth to borrow. We are actually here on earth borrowing everything. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that cliche of leaving the, the, the earth better than you found it, right. it's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, we, we can't waste a minute. You know, we have to invest. The best investment we can make is, is, is in other people. And um, that's what my whole life is, is, is about uh, until my last days is, is investing in other people. Um, you, you, were, you were homeless for a while. Uh, and like, you know, you, you, um, you had talked about that, you know, before, like in several, in several instances, what, sure. did, what, what did that, what did that feel like for you? What put you in that position? Uh, what lessons did you learn from that? And what mis what what's the biggest misconception that the public has of the homeless? Um, I got into, um, fell into homelessness because I mean, I was just depressed. 
I mean, you know, going through a whole bunch on my shoulders, thinking that um, I have this incredible cape on my back. No, I had holes in my back, so I couldn't fly. It, it, it's impossible to fly when you got holes in your cape. And I didn't recognize those holes in, in, in my cape, and I was too prideful to patch them up or to recognize the resources to patch those holes up. You know, it took a year and a half to realize the only way I'm going to patch these holes up in my cape and get out of homelessness is if I reach out and, and, and ask for help. And uh, it was tough for me. I had friends like uh, Selecta, James Scaletti, yeah. who, um, who, you know, I would, you know, you know uh, spend the night over, you know, his place until the point where I, over, I overstayed my welcome and, you know, got evicted from, from that and ended back out in the streets. Um, but it was individuals like Selecta, um, individuals like, you know, so many others that um, really were there to help me get through. You know, I would sleep in Oakland across from the O. Um, mm -hmm. I would eat at the Jubilee Kitchen, the Rainbow Kitchen that was um, in Homestead. Um, you know, I would, uh, I would overstay my welcome on people's couches and things of that nature. So it was really tough. And, and it was more of a prideful thing than a resource thing. Uh, so once I got my pride in check, I picked up the phone, called my mother and said, Mom, I've been homeless for, you know, a, a while now. Can I sleep on your couch? You know, and she said, why, why did it take you so long? There you go, being hard-headed. These hard-headed black men, being, being hard-headed. Um, and, you know, how it made me feel, it, it, was, it was the lowest point. Um, it was the lowest point, and the reason why I'm so filled with joy and, and positive vibe is because I know what dirt tastes like and I never want to taste that again. Hmm. So anything above the, the, you know, the, the lowest floor is up anything above. So, and uh, you know, how I internalize that is that, listen, you know, we go through valleys, but those valleys help you appreciate the mountains and the mountains that you can climb up. And it, it ties back to the sky's not the limit. You know, when you're at your lowest point, of course the sky's not the limit. Um, so, yeah, that's how it made me feel. Um, and, and that's how, you know, I sort of got out the situation. But it was because of a lot of great key individuals that I was able to get out of homelessness. And then um, in your third tier, Marlon, was what? What you think is the biggest misconception. The biggest misconception um, I mean, I've gotten spit on, I've gotten, you know, money thrown at me, uh, trash thrown at me. Um, the biggest misconception is that homeless people are not humans. Like, for some reason, when, if you're homeless, you automatically go into this partitioned category that you do not matter. Homeless people matter. They're just like you and I. They could be graduates from the University of Chicago, Harvard, Yale, you name it, from the most prestigious universities around the world. But the biggest uh, misconception is that they're not human. I was very human, but I was treated inhumane. So out of all of them, I think that is key. The next time everybody on this Zoom, everybody on this uh, watching YouTube or whatever platform. 
I'm going to challenge you right now at, at 1026 Eastern time here in America. Next time you see a homeless person, I dare you, I challenge you to have one conversation with them. That's it. You don't have to give them $5. You don't have to da-da-da. Don't roll the window up. Don't lock your door. Don't uh, deviate from giving them eye contact. Just say hello. How are you? You know what, brother? You know what, sister? What is your name? My name's Emay. Watch what happens and watch how their life will change from one conversation. Yeah. All I needed during my year and a half was one conversation, but but 98% of the people wouldn't give that to me. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I was on a date years ago in Dubai. And um, for people in Dubai, it was down in JBR on the, on the ocean, on a boardwalk. And um, over here, we have migrant workers. And what that is, is just cheap labor from developing countries. And they come over here and they work very like pennies on a dollar. I mean, it's very, very low. And it's disheartening. And I'll never not see them ever. Right? Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of us uh, from the West, black Americans, you know, Europeans from UK, all that, we try to do what we can for that community. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, but we do what we can, right? Mm -hmm. And we try to give dignity as much as possible. Well, one day I was, I was on a date and I was walking, and I was actually walking my date to a taxi. She was going a different direction, you know, whatever. So I'm just walking her walking her to a certain distance and I saw a migrant bus, uh, a bus full of migrant workers, all men, they probably worked 16 hours and there was a woman on the bus and you never see that. And she was leaning up against the window, exhausted. And as I was walking across the street or past the bus, I looked at her and smiled and she just, I mean, she looked like a Christmas tree. And while I was smiling, I was in a conversation with my date and we just, but I had that little communication with this lady. And I thought, damn, I gave her dignity. Like I made her day. Like she smiled. Like, I mean, I just looked at her and I did like that. You know, I waved and smiled. That's it. That's the only, I mean, the bus moved and the, the, the light changed and she was gone. But the way she reacted, it hit me. I was like, wow, that's, all, that's what some people need. Like, just a, like you said, a conversation, acknowledgement, right? Make them you know, feel like they matter, like they're a human being. And um, you made me think of that when you told that story. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, I'm not sure if there's some questions. I'd love to, to yeah. take those. There's, There's a couple more. Uh, okay. Actually, Masai asked about uh, music production mm -hmm. and how that led you into other creative things. Yes. Yeah, we're not going to uh, let this dude get off the call without talking about beats. We're not going to let him get off the call. <laughs> about, you know, we're not going to skip over this whole time period in history where some of the most creative energy was ever created in Pittsburgh. We're not going to skip over that. Yeah. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah. Uh, music production, uh, I shout, first of all, let me shout out uh, Steve Butter Anderson, all right? Uh, Butter, uh, or Bada, uh, was from Bell Suver, 
And Butta, uh, he produced Bell Down by Ice Cube. He produced Been There, Done That. He produced so many records uh, for so many great uh, individuals and great groups in hip-hop history. Uh, I was uh, at a radio station, uh, 98.5 WPTS, at Pitt's radio station uh, as a youngster, you know, just getting into music and filling myself up with music. And uh, meeting him there changed my life because he would produce music. And when I would go over his house in Belsuver, I would just be mesmerized on how he would put together beats and put together elements and things to make a cohesive harmony. So I started to get into, uh, you know, producing by uh, doing this commercial uh, in my group, Pencils in a Cup, which consisted of me, Akil Isun, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, Super C, Chip, uh, Roland Matthews. Uh, the, the ciphers was crazy. Yes. So uh, uh, developing this group called Pencils in a Cup, we got hired to do a PSA with Chris Moore for Nickelodeon and P uh, uh, public access television, where we did a song called Get a Mind of Your Own. And we got paid, I think, 283 bucks. So I took that 283 bucks with uh, shoveling snow and also cutting grass around the neighborhood. And I saved up this money to go to Sun TV and Appliances to purchase a Casio SK-1, which was the keyboard that a lot of producers were using. Uh, uh, Prince Paul, Butter was using this SK-1. And I brought all this equipment home and I started making this music. And it was mesmerizing because here I was validating myself as a young teenager at being able to put elements together. So doing production and making beats and opening my doors um, to so many individuals and artists around the city to come into my mom's house, which is why I call my studio, your mom's house, because everybody would call my landline like, yo, I'm trying to get into your mom's house. I'm trying to get it cracking. And, it would da, da, da. and I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty hilarious. And it turned into a community joke. But so many artists have come through my bedroom at 639 Princeton Boulevard uh, where music was just amazing. And using that production, I moved into radio and I used those same principles of production is how I put these samples together was how I put other elements of my life together. And I moved from pr production to radio, from radio to filming, from filming to photography. And they all have the principles of production. And Masai Turner, who's on uh, the, the, uh, the, the call, is in a, a, a hip hop group uh, called Grown Folks. And I need you guys to go to Grown Folks uh, com just replace the O's with the X's and I need you to listen and check out their grown uh, people's hip-hop um, we we did a um, we did a video called celebrate in which when people hear celebrate they think oh pop bottles in a club da 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 what these brothers did Masai Turner and Achilles soon we did a video where we actually gave back to the community in the form of multiple uh, community service acts. And you could watch their video now. You could also watch their new video that just came out with my song, The General, called Let's Talk About It. They're doing some exceptional work in the community, so. What's up, bro? All right, now, so good to see you, man. I heard your comments, you know, about uh, giving back, man, and, you know, I can 
speak to that, bro, because you've been a pillar in my life. You've been a, a mentor, a big bro from some of the deepest conversations to like photography and just guidance on how to um, navigate my way through life. So I appreciate you. Um, I would like for you to, to touch on that, man, the, the importance of mentorship and, yes. and giving back and, and some of the ways that you have given back, man. Yes. Um, you know, mentorship is, is, is key, right? Um, mentorship is the currency of life. You know, it, it's, it's the value, it's the measurement of equity and kind of what it is that we do. You know, as we receive, you know, we also have to give, give, give. And, um, you know, throughout the years, you know, individuals like Chris Moore, uh, Dan Hickey, Chad Glitt, um, there's so many individuals that have mentored my life that when you get that positive input, it's almost like you would burst if you kept all of that in, <laughs> right? You ever get so happy in life where it feel like you're about to burst? Remember some of them Christmases, you know what I mean? Like the day before or something like that, or, or, you know, if someone was coming to visit you or, or, you know, before we got married, like just that feeling that takes over to you that if you don't share it, you're just going to explode. Right. So receiving that mentorship, giving that mentorship out is, is the same thing for me. When it comes to having a conversation or working with these young people or giving advice or being on the um, Pennsylvania Council on the Arts under Governor Tom Wolf here in Pennsylvania and having a chance to mentor arts organization programs in 67 counties, that's humongous. Mm -hmm. um, all the way to the small conversations that I would have with Brother Leon Ford mm -hmm. and recognizing that, hey, listen, you know, it's okay to not be Superman, you know, yeah. uh, but how do we patch those holes up in our cape? Um, a lot of times I would see so many people try to overwhelm Leon, and I watched it from almost a tenant window perspective, right? And I would see how people would orbit the centrifugal force of Leon Ford, and it wouldn't always be good. So we all, on our journey, as we drive on that path, it's always important to pull over. It's always important to fill up. It's always important to change our internal oil. If we continue to run on bad oil, it becomes bad health. Yeah. In spiritual ways, mental ways, everything. And sometimes everybody doesn't know how to change their oil. Yeah. It's up to us to help them. Oh, you take this cap off. Oh, we go into this area. Boom, boom, boom. We fill that up. You take this stick. You stick it in. You see if it's bad or not. You could tell it. Tell right here. Dip it back in. Uh, close the hood. You're good to go. We'll see you next run. So, you know, sorry to use these analogies, but I'm hip hop. Um, so those are sort of the metaphors that I use in my life and, and, and when it comes to mentoring to break things down in these ways so that people get it and understand and internalize it. So thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that, brother Leon.
Great question. Uh, thank you, bro. I appreciate you, man. Yes, man. Yes, man. Hey, um, I want to go to Poland. Take us to Poland. Oh, Poland. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then as you take us to Poland, let's get over down to the August Wilson Center to our Optic Voices. Got you. So Poland, uh, there's an organization that I want you to look up called Classrooms Without Borders. Mm -hmm. All right. Write that down. Classroom, Classrooms Without Borders. They're an organization that take teachers and educators, they take them from, you know, Pittsburgh and other places, and they take them to uh, places like Poland, uh, Greece, Israel. And in this instance, my wife went to a couple of the trips with Classrooms Without Borders. And one year they needed a, doc a document, uh, documenter to a documentary, um, individual to go over and sort of document what was going on. So my wife said, oh, you know, my, my husband, he, he does some things with a camera every once in a while. You might want to call him. So they called me and uh, the executive director said, I want to meet you in Squirrel Hill. Uh, I love your work and I love the way you tell stories. So I met her there and she said, um, Hey, I would like you to tell a story um, through your lens, but I like to tell, tell a story about the Holocaust. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. I, I haven't learned anything about the Holocaust until like my you know, late 30s, 40s, period. Um, so I was terrified to go over to Poland to, the you know, to experience the Holocaust for a week. So I didn't believe in myself that I could tell a story. Why do you want this black guy to tell a story about the Holocaust? So anyway, I gathered the courage to do so. And when I went over it, it was one of the most transformative experiences. To go over there and see what was going on and what happened um, changed my life forever. So I did a film called Ghetto Steps uh, in which, you know, uh, if, if you type into YouTube, Ghetto Steps slash Pittsburgh, or go to my website, uh, you could check it out. Lauren is the executive director of the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh. And when I did the film, Ghetto Steps, she was one of the key supporters that said, hey, Ime, we want to bring your work into the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh. Blew me away. So not only did we host um, uh, Ghetto Steps there, we began a conversation that was between a black community and a Jewish community that is so parallel, it's not even funny some of the similarities. Yeah. Even the word ghetto, mm -hmm. which was created in the 1600s yes. out of Italy to describe a group of Jew Jews. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the word ghetto was used in Warsaw, if you go to Warsaw, Poland today, you will see in the grounds, it says the ghettos of Warsaw, the Warsaw ghetto in the stones. So the fact that African-Americans, you know, we use this word, oh, you ghetto, oh, that's ghetto, da, da, da. We're forgetting the, the cultural appropriation of that word that surrounds that word. So I learned so much as an African-American male, as a black man, walking uh, the gates of uh, Auschwitz. Yeah. And literally trying to think of the same feeling as walking to uh, where the point of no return is in Africa. Yeah. How, um, how, 
Jews would use poems in order to get through, songs to get through. How they were told to get on this train and we'll show you a better way. How African-Americans were told to get on this boat, we'll show you a different way. How Jews were manufactured, how African-Americans were manufactured. And here's what I want you to realize. In Auschwitz, the, the death camps are 30 minutes away from being fully operable. Let me let that sink in. From the 1940s, today, the machines are 30 minutes away from being fired up and working the same as they did in the 1940s. And here's my last point of that. When I did my research before I uh, did the film Ghetto Steps, here's how media, and here's why I'm so bent on telling the narrative the right way. I had to watch, I, I researched and watched so many movies and films. Did you know that Hitler hired a video production company to actually put together videos in little movies to send to other parts of the world to say, hey, listen, we're doing amazing things here with these people. We're not destroying them. We're not doing anything. So that's where I learned where propaganda Yes. Through media is crazy. So I have a responsibility as a cinematic poet to make sure that these narratives are told correctly. And just like in film, the same thing with optic voices, which I started in 2016 in July after taking photos for 30 minutes at a protest. It turned into five different iterations full-blown website, thousands of engagements um, in an interactive photography exhibit that surrounds social justice that is looking to be in museums across the country. And shout out to Janice Burley Wilson, who gave me my first shot at curating an yeah. Optic Voices in the August Wilson African-American Cultural Center. Uh, in addition, we had an iteration Optic Voices Roots in the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh, this underscores whatever we do has the chance to change the world on a global level. He who controls the media controls the narrative. It's it. Listen, Marla, I'm so glad you said that. When you get a chance, I encourage everybody to either go on YouTube or go onto my Facebook page or my Instagram page. And I want you to watch the last protest video I did. It has, like, I have not gotten this much a response from anything other than uh, a film I did with Damon Young that has over a million views. Um, but I did a, a protest. It's a Pittsburgh protest. And it was my way of helping to send uh, George Floyd off to transition into his next dimension. Yeah. That, that is only 72 seconds of your life. Yeah. But when I did this film, I strategically, I was very intentional about the sound. I was very intentional about the photo placement, the sound effects, where I placed Al Sharpton, where I placed slow motion images. I want you to just watch it 
and try to dissect it for what it is because if if we don't tell our own stories someone's going to tell it for us and, and chances are it might not be the right way wow it never is yeah, i saw i saw it and um you know i'm sure marlon saw it too to prepare to meet with you to, today this morning and um it's brilliant man trey lou mentions um with what's going on in the world you may uh, how can black men embrace trust and love one another to the next level yeah um i think it's important that we are transparent and vulnerable and i think um starting out with conversations you know starting out with a hello or a smile even um sometimes you know when i'm driving in my car i'll pull up to a, a stoplight or a stop sign and then a car will come up right beside me and it'll be another black man and for some strange reason he'll look over at me and he would be you know he would give me the strongest hardcore face that he could ever make and i would think to myself why am i that much a threat to you you know you understand what i'm saying and then sometimes um sometimes you know i could be out somewhere or i could take a photo right as a as a photographer <laughs> i'm sitting here about to take this photo and here's this brother showing his whole dental plan he's like this <laughs> And I'll say, all right, let me take this photo. And he'll go like this. <laughs> That's us. Yo, why though? Why, why are we like that as brothers, man? Hey, Here's man. the thing. Here's the thing. We have to, to, to understand how powerful we are with a smile. Right. I, think we're, I think we're more powerful with a smile than we are with a frown. Definitely. I, I think that's all across the board. I want to cut in real quick on that. I was watching the um, track and field uh, 2019 championships just because I'm a track fanatic. Yeah, and they showed the women's 4x100, and Jamaica won, of course. Uh, and the women just did so well. But then it showed the, all the other teams, USA and all the other teams, come up and congratulate each other, and they all hugged it out, et cetera, et cetera. Then the men, same thing. But when the men won, nobody went over it. Like, you know, like the men didn't come together and pound each yeah. other, even like as black men. You know, I mean, like the, the, the Jamaica team, the U.S. team, and even like the Great Britain team, you know, which was filled with black men as well. They didn't come over and dap each other up. It was just by themselves. So, yeah, like what you're saying has so much like validity, man. And like, you know, Heath and I talk about that all the time about like, you know, why can't, like, why is that not okay? You know, like people, people like really do have this, um, I mean, I don't know if like you want to do it like the cliche of toxic masculinity, but it's just like, yo, like, I love you, bro. Like, that's what's yeah. up. I'm proud of you. Like, like you're doing good. Keep going. Yeah. I got you. Like, yeah. you know, why can't we say these messages to each other without right. feeling there's, some type there's, of way? There's a layer of uh, anti-black sentiment that we have. You know, I remember Ice Cube said, separate our families together uh, forever until this day, black folks can't stick together, you know? Um, uh, Tracy, Trey Lou was a Wilkinsburg cheerleader when I was a student there. And, um, I went back to be an administrator and a coach and we would play and pastor Loretta's in, in, the, uh, in the, in, on the zoom right now, we would play Claritin. Wilkinsburg would play Claritin or Duquesne, right? 
and there would be security, police, all this other stuff. But when we went to Riverview or Northgate, you know, some type of white area, wow. it would be love. Like the cheerleaders would literally come together and start talking. These white girls from way out and these, these inner city black girls was talk, but there would be fights, buses with, you know, I mean, it would be real rowdy when Clarendon played Duquesne or Wilkinsburg played Clarendon. And it used to bother me, you know, I would, and I would ask the cheerleaders and ask my players, why do you guys, why do you guys get up and wh why is this reaction towards black players or black teams or black schools like that? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's innovate, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, too. Mm -hmm. and there's a great book. Um, if you guys could hop online, there's, there's a great book um, called Untold. Yeah. Uh, and if you haven't, if you haven't heard of, heard about it, just go online. Untold is, is, is uh, by Leon Ford, brother Leon Ford, who's on the call with us and working on the, the, the photography was one thing, you know, I remember getting a call from Leon and he's Leon's like, Hey, listen, I need, you know, uh, do you want to do, um, uh, photography for the book cover? And it was a challenge for me because on this book cover, I had to literally jam in a thousand words into one picture. And then if, if you could, if you could, when you log online, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, you know, uh, Leon, you know, he, he's in a wheelchair. He was left paralyzed. Um, in this photo, I had to tell a thousand uh, uh, stories, basically, uh, made out of a thousand words. So when you look at the wheel, the wheel that's around him is his wheelchair wheel. And the metaphor is that although the police wanted to put him behind bars, they put him behind a different set of bars. So the bars and the spike of his wheel. The criminal tape, you see the conscious, the, the police criminal tape? Even though they tried to lynch him, they replaced the police tape. They replaced the rope with police tape. So I'm, I, I, I had it wrapped around his neck as if they were hanging him with the conscious tape. And then my last thing is the V that you see in the spoke of the wheel. I strategically had him look through that because that V stands for victorious. And even though you tried to kill me, I am alive to give you just a small smirk to let you know that you tried to mute me, but I will be unspeakable for the rest of my life. If Leon Ford wasn't that transparent and that vulnerable, and us using that as measurement and, and as a pillar to how we need to be vulnerable, somebody who was shot five times, and anytime uh, someone shoots someone five times, you mean to kill them. Leon Ford was shot five times, but he's making each bullet count. And that's what we need to do as far as brothers. Hey, Ime, can I add to... Yes. You took that picture at the same spot where I was shot at. You're absolutely right. Add on, brother. And Add on. That, that within itself, to go back to that, I mean, the, the thought, 
I mean, we could have we could have took that picture anywhere, but to go back to that that spot to relive that moment, the way you know I did and we did it, and the way you helped facilitate, it was so powerful, and it, it was um, it was therapeutic for me, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was one of the first times that I went back to that spot, right, with, with a new lens of uh, creativity and innovation. And you help nurture that, right? And so uh, there's one thing that you said to me when we were having breakfast one time. I mean, we always get breakfast, but yeah, <laughs> uh, you said, you know, people were focused on my hero and not my healing. And ever since I met you, you've been someone who, who's been, you know, intentionally focused on my healing, even when I didn't realize it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right? Even when I didn't realize it. And so I appreciate you for that. And for you to help me find innovative ways to turn my pain into purpose. Period. Period. So I appreciate you, man. Hands up. Hands up. <laughs> hey, yeah. uh, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to ask. Um, ask Emay's e friend Butter if uh, if uh, you can just you can just give us like you know a quick couple words. Um, you know about Emay and mentorship. You can still. Uh, uh, yeah. Hey. Hey, fellas, I just want to thank y'all for having this platform. I, you know, and talking about transparency, I had to jump in because uh, my brother E-May is a transparent dude. And, um, you know, I'm able to connect with him at any level, you know, whether it's business or, or just relationships or or ideas or whatever the case you know i'm i'm a i'm a i'm an advocate for being transparent i think with tra with transparency you know it's 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 hard for people to know clarity like even he said like talking to somebody homeless you know they're a person too so all i'm saying i just want to say say thank you Emay. i love you bro you know i love you man yeah man i and, love you too, uh, i thank god for you and and you are inspiration to to you know even even people that don't speak it and won't be transparent about how much of an inspiration you are i don't care how many accolades i've been able to obtain or whatever there's so much in you that inspire me to this day to just be a better man all the way around so i bless you bro and i thank god for you thank you man thank you for sharing that butter uh you know the sentiments is, is is definitely i mean it, it's mutual so um you've worked with a lot of the who's who uh in uh, various industries from film to music and i uh, just want to throw a couple people out there and um you know see what they've meant to you uh will smith and jada uh great individuals uh will's uh hilarious by the way um he's probably one of the most down-to-earth people him and jada like they are so uh, happy hour, you know, at a corner bar, uh, type of folks in, in there inspiring at the same time. Like you talk about gems, Will Smith will drop gems every other sentence. Um, the roots and black thought. Thank you. Black, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Black thought is one of the most, uh, he's one of the most intimidating people to work with. And I say that in a good way. Because when I, when I first worked with Tariq in 2012, this brother didn't say anything to me for like two years. Um, 
I barely got on. No, seriously, I barely got eye contact from Tariq because, you know, it takes a lot to really get into a circle. But once you get into the circle, he's the most one of the most amazing human beings on earth. You could learn so much from Tariq. It's it's insane. And the fact that I got a phone call to direct the very first master class at Carnegie Hall in New York City. Wow. Still blows my face off. Because Tariq could have called out of seven billion plus people on this planet. He called a guy from Wilkinsburg to tell his story. This is this is Tariq's life. This is a major intersection, the fact that he does the very first hip hop masterclass in Carnegie Hall history. Um, showed me that where where our relationship got to, and he's definitely one of my top five. That's a big one. Um, and then uh, Rakim. Rakim, um, I love Rakim, but Rakim almost beat me up. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it real with you. Rakim almost beat me up. Rakim and his posse rolled up on me in the trailers at the Roots picnic because while I was filming the Roots picnic uh, and I was on stage filming because uh, I, I direct uh, the Roots, Roots, a lot of the Roots picnics. So while I was filming, I asked this young man, uh, excuse me, um, uh, you mind just moving out the way? I just, I just want to get this one shot. And he looked at me like, who are you to tell me anything? And I did it politely. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming through for your throat. But an hour later, Rakim and his posse pulled up on me in the back of the Roots picnic. Like, yo, what's good, bro? How you doing? And you know Rakim. Yo, what's up, bro? How you doing, God? Oh, oh, he's talking to me? Oh, how you doing, Rakim? Oh, it's so a pleasure. Yeah, let me, let, me, let me rap with you. Let me rap with you, God. And he pulls me over and he says, yo, my son, my son, my, I think he had beef with you. Uh, you got beef with my son? I said, your son? I don't, I, 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 I never met your son. Yo, the young man that you, you, you had words with on stage. And I was just blown out because <laughs> I just told this young man, do you mind just moving over a little bit so I can, <laughs> so I can film? Rock him. But it turned out to be a son. And then when I told him, oh, no, 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 no disrespect, Rakim. I swear, you know, da-da-da. And he's like, all right, all right, God, I believe you. Your word, you were, you know, peace, God, peace, God. Is there anything I could do for you? And then it was rap. So I just had to share that story because I don't want you to think it's cupcakes. You know, <laughs> there, there's, there's a few janitor mops that's, that's in my career. And I'm surprised you didn't say Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou. I'm not done. Oh, you ain't done? Okay, cool, God. Go ahead then, Maya Angelou, sure. So, Dr. Maya Angelou, I'm, I'm sorry, that is the top. I'm so sorry, uh, um, Leon. I'm so sorry, Butter. Um, but the, the, the top of my career, out of working with Jay-Z, Beyonce, uh, Kanye, all them, it was Maya Angelou being invited to her house. And how it happened really quickly is that I did a documentary on her school in Washington, D.C. And she came up to watch the premiere of it at a gala. She was in the stands and she asked one of the people, who did this video? Who's responsible for this video for my school? And uh, my name was told to her. And she said, I can't meet this young man 
but I would like to invite him to my house. Um, and this happened uh, because of Candy Castleberry Singleton, who's the vice president of diversity at Twitter International. So me and Candice, uh, me and Candy Castleberry uh, went, got invited to uh, Dr. Maya Angelou's house. We got lemonade. I used her bathroom. She gave us a tour of all her awards. She showed us a Rolls Royce that Tyler Perry bought her for her 80th birthday that she never drove. So the fact that not too many young men get invited to Dr. Maya Angelou's house to film her, talk about dignity and respect for others, that more than any of this any of this furniture in the back, any of the accolades, my top one was filming and telling a story for Dr. Maya Angelou. I can't wait to tell my daughter that. You know, I just, I just had my first, uh, I think, uh, journalists and uh, people, some people, they have these fan moments where they just pause and they forget that they're actually a co-host. Last 10 minutes, I just been chilling as a... Uh, <laughs> As a guest, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I don't have no questions. <laughs> Ask him another question, Marlon. You said that you're doing something on Juneteenth. Um, tell us a bit more about that, and also just in general, what does Juneteenth mean to you? Yes, uh, I'll be working with uh, Michelle Kenny, uh, Antoine Rose, the second's mother, um, at a protest. I'll be putting together a film uh, commemorating his life. Um, so I can't wait to go out there. Uh, to really put stories in that camera and I should be done with the edit by Sunday. So it, it, even though we're filming Friday, it's going to premiere Sunday. Um, and I'm excited about, um, you know, being able to do that on Juneteenth and being able to do that for Antoine Rose, the second, uh, for his life. And, uh, you know, what Juneteenth means to me is, is just another intersection of what we've been through as, uh, African Americans in this country, man. It's just another intersection, and that's just one day, which I, I, I you know, uh, I find it, uh, you know, we're very appreciative of that one day. But uh, to me, Juneteenth is every day, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, Black History Month is every month. Um, so that's what it means to me. And 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 as a cinematic poet, um, I have to keep telling this poetry. Uh, in the form of films and photography. And that's what I plan to do for Juneteenth. Dope. Hey, have yeah. you ever, have you ever been, um, or ever thought about, I, I was going to say, has anybody ever pulled you to Hollywood or New York? Have you ever thought about moving out of Pittsburgh? Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I get that all the time, but with yeah. the, with, uh, the, what we have going on as far as technology, I could be anywhere on the planet and put something together. Um, but, you know, I've been into Hollywood, you know, uh, I've, I've done films there. I've done films in New York. Uh, but Pittsburgh, I'd rather be a piranha in Pittsburgh than a goldfish somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and I could swim however I want to swim because I'm in control of my narrative. I'm in control of my path. So I could swim anywhere in the tank. Um, and, you know, when I do go to New York or or LA, the biological fact is that goldfish grow to the size of the tank. A lot of people don't know that. If you put a goldfish in a big tank, it'll grow to the size of the tank. 
but if you put it in a small bowl, it'll stay small. So I know how to expand for LA. I know to, how to expand to a New York or in Atlanta or DC, but I'm good with that. I go in, do what I need to do and I'm out. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've gotten that conversation, but I, I, uh, I love Pittsburgh. Uh, if Teeny Harris could do it, um, right. you know, I could do it. If Leon Ford could do it, I could do it. Um, and for those who go out, out of the pocket, regardless of where they go in life, they'll always have Pittsburgh in their heart. No doubt. I, I'm attached yeah. to that. Uh, I've got two more for you. I mean, like a quick sure. one. It's like, what does Blitzburg mean? What do you mean by that? Uh, Blitzburg is just a, a sports, a, you know, if you're from Pittsburgh, you love the Steelers. You love the fact that we were the first team to get to six Super Bowl champions. You love the fact that we were in eight Super Bowls. You love the fact that the, you know, our defense is, is, is crazy fresh. Um, so when I use the word blitz when I'm in other places and people ask that question, it's just about bum rushing the opposition or bum rushing an opportunity, right? If, if when you think of the O-line, I want you to replace offense with opportunity. Uh, when you build a defense and whatever it is that you want to do in life, you got to have a great defense. You have to line your troops up to dissect whatever is quarterbacking your dream, whatever is quarterbacking your path. Because when life says hike, you got to push everything out your way to get to your core to win. Come on, man. Keep going. <laughs> hey, let me, let me, let me, uh, I'm thinking about Trey Lou right now and a number of people. Um, maybe I can even maybe conclude myself. Pittsburghers, I don't know what's in the water, but we do well when we leave and set up shop in other cities. I've seen so many of my friends leave and flourish other places. Not and some, you know, a lot of them struggled here, but there's something about Blitzburg that makes us resilient. Period. Period. And tough. So yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Butta, for example, when Butta believed in himself to leave Pittsburgh, his whole life changed. And he was able to change other people's lives. For crying out loud, Butta did uh, produce songs on Aaliyah's last album. You can listen to his catalog. If you, if you Google Butta, you know what I mean? Producer Butta. He's a multi-platinum award-winning artist. Uh, producer who did all the music for Proud Family on Disney. He wow. did all the music for Proud Family in, in a myriad of other projects that you would have no idea that he did. Right. But that speaks volumes on how when you think of Blitzburg, blitzing yeah. opportunity. And I'm not knocking anybody who left Pittsburgh because regardless of how much you leave, you're always planted in Pittsburgh. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? August Wilson did the same thing. When he left for Minneapolis in Seattle, he did his thing in New York. And you know what I mean? Right. But Pittsburgh was always his home. So yeah. I just want people to remember that, um, that location is not important. State of mind is everything. Yeah. I didn't realize that uh, Dr. Derek Bell from Harvard, the uh, godfather of critical race theory, is a Pittsburgh. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought? So. Come on. Come yeah. on. 
That's interesting. I want to um, I want to just round it out with um, just something about being global. You know, obviously, uh, you know, within within our title is Global Brothers Podcast. So, um, just just like I know you got obviously supreme love for Pittsburgh, but share with us, like you know, as well with like what's going on in the country right now. Just um, have uh, thoughts about opportunity as well. Maybe not like living somewhere else, but um, investing somewhere else, um, influencing somewhere else, etc. cetera. Uh, and you being a film, uh, a, a storyteller, you know, wh- where do you want to tell stories? Um, I just want to continue to tell stories about life, about people, um, using my platform as a voice, um, as a narration. Um, right now I'm, I'm in the middle of directing um, a Black Lives Matter piece for ASL. And, uh, of course, ASL, sign language, where even though they might not voice, they have a voice. And even though they might not hear, they hear everything that's going on in our country right now. In directing this piece, there's 15 individuals that are doing, um, you know, that are speaking uh, ASL directly into the camera surrounding some of these Black Lives Matter movements. And I'm just sharing that is that's an example of why I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories to people of people and of artists and of organizations that don't really get to crystallize uh, what's going on. And my last point surrounding, you know, these these protests and things of that nature is that for some strange reason, and I don't know what it is, but the centrifugal force surrounding this uh, George Floyd situation, the centrifugal force is more powerful than I think any other time in our country and in our world. And to tell these stories where everybody is watching and everybody is listening is catalytic to where we're going to get tomorrow versus where we are today. So when you think about my work, don't think about filmmaker because I don't know how to make plastic film. I don't know how to build cameras, but I do know how to use that piece of glass that is a half an inch thick to, to shift the trajectory of our history with a photo, with a film, or with fossilizing one moment in time. I appreciate what uh, you've all done. Um, If you can, check out The Roots IG page. They just posted one of my photos from my Optic Voices um, collection. Uh, It's it's The Roots, not not The Roots as in the rap group, but uh, the, The Root. Uh, they posted one of my photos yesterday uh, that's uh, receiving a lot of uh, uh, attention. And then also, if you could follow us on Optic Voices um, on Instagram as well. Um, I love to keep up with you all. I really appreciate you all being here. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. As we always say at this time, live global and prosper. Peace. Thank you all. Peace. Check us out on YouTube, Global Brothers Podcast. And please subscribe and share and, you know, continue to support, you know, good yeah. content. Thanks, everybody. Mr. Worldwide.